Hi, I'm Jayan Sriram and welcome to In Focus, the Hindu's analysis podcast. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we follow up on a report that we carried in the paper last week and that merits a deeper discussion on an important legislation that is being discussed in Parliament right now. It's on the DNA Technology Use and Application Regulation Act 2019. And our story on it was about a draft report by the Parliamentary Standing Committee on Science and Technology, which said the provisions in the bill as it pertains to what kind of information can be collected through DNA sampling, can be misused. And in particular, it flagged the possibility that it can be used for caste-based profiling. So we're following up on the story for two important reasons. One, to explain more clearly what the concerns raised by the draft standing committee report are. And second, because it's useful at this point to go over some of the concerns raised about the bill, even when it was introduced back in 2018. The analysis of new legislation gets a lot of coverage when it is first tabled. As the years go by and the bill goes through standing committees, that coverage loses some steam. So this is an important refresher on an important issue. And I'm joined today by Surit Parthasarathy. He's an advocate at the Madras High Court and a regular columnist for The Hindu. We link to an article he wrote for us in 2018 about the DNA technology bill. And we'll also link to our story on the draft report from last week. Surit, thanks so much for joining us once again. Welcome back to the InFocus podcast. Thanks for having me, Jay. Right. So let's just start by understanding uh, why a bill like this is needed and what it hopes to achieve. Um, so for instance, the US had ed has a bill on the use of DNA going back as far as 1994, and uh, 60 other countries have similar legislations. So what is the need for uh, legislation on regulating the use of DNA and why is it needed in India? So I think uh, we need to start with the basic understanding that genes that are encoded in the DNA have been a critical component of forensic science for some time now. So DNA, as you know, can be collected from blood, hair, skin cells, and other similar such bodily substances. So much like in the case of our fingerprints, you can create a unique profile out of a person's DNA. Now, of course, there are some exceptions to this, like in the case of identical twins, for example. But the basic idea really is this, that DNA can be useful in identifying individuals, especially, say, persons who are suspected of of having committed a criminal offense. So criminal investigators and the law enforcement finds all of this quite appealing because even a small amount of genetic material can suffice in creating this profile and therefore trying to secure a match. Uh, Now, some of this... uh, theory is contested because around the world, as you know, DNA evidence has helped exonerate a number of innocent people from wrongful conviction. It's helped find the guilty party in complex investigations, but there have also been cases where DNA evidence has gone wrong. But the fact really is this. Now, if DNA 
evidence is collected then on the face of things there is a violation of fundamental rights there's a violation certainly of the right to life and personal liberty now the constitution as you know stipulates that this right to life and personal liberty can only be restricted by legislation and that legislation needs to be a reasonable one it has to be proportionate to the demands of the state and it cannot impose an unreasonable burden on a on a person's freedom so this is why we need a law a law that will help regulate the manner and the circumstances in which the state could potentially collect different kinds of biological material from a person but there's also one other reason for this in 2005 india's main sort of procedural criminal code which is the code of criminal procedure that was amended and what that amendment did was it authorized investigating officers of a crime to collect a dna sample from an accused with the help of a medical practitioner so on the one hand you have a piece of legislation that authorizes the collection of dna sample but you have nothing in that law or in our other laws in say the evidence act or in any other law which tells law enforcement how to go about this the safeguards that we need in order to protect the sanctity of the material collected and so which is this is really the reason why we need a law but what we've seen is that every iteration of a bill that we've had in the past several years that have aimed at regulating the use of dna they've really been a disaster because none of them have shown even a basic understanding of the constitutional rights that are at stake here right and those constitutional rights i think the one i want to really touch on is you know how does um, what are the concerns here about how the collection of dna violates um, privacy laws because that's uh, you know the right to privacy is perhaps the legal topic that's been most recently under discussion there have been judgments on this recently so and so how does uh, you know just how does it balance out with the state's need to collect dna for effective administration of justice Yes, yeah, so as you said, in two thousand seven, as we're all really quite well aware by now, a yeah. nine-judge bench of the Supreme Court in uh, Justice Puttaswamy's case, it declared that the Constitution recognizes a fundamental right to privacy. That this right to privacy is implicit in the guarantee of a right to life and personal liberty. And what the court also did there, through the sort of plurality of opinions that it delivered. was to recognize various different dimensions of this right and one of those dimensions that it spoke about in the context of the right to privacy is the right to privacy over our bodies a right to bodily integrity if you will so even assuming for a moment that a mandatory collection of bodily substances from a person doesn't impinge on the right against self incrimination which also the constitution guarantees and i'll come back to that later Now, there's no question here that collecting bodily substances would, in and of itself, violate a person's right to bodily integrity and therefore his or her right to privacy. So, therefore, the moment you have an action which violates a fundamental right, and in this case, uh, the right to life and personal liberty under Article 21, that can only be done through legislation. And that legislation, as I said earlier, will have to be a just, fair, and reasonable one. In fact, in 2012. uh justice ap shah the former chief justice of the madras and delhi high courts he headed a committee which expressly found that a person's basic liberties will be violated by a compelled extraction of dna from his or her body so as i said again the right to privacy even assuming that it is infringed it doesn't mean that the government cannot 
under certain circumstances gather DNA evidence. What it does mean is that any collection of this evidence, any collection of data, ought to be made under a legislative regime which is guided by principles of necessity and proportionality. The state must show us that there exists a legitimate and rational reason for extracting DNA evidence. And again, the extent and scope of this extraction of the evidence, the use of this evidence, it shouldn't disproportionately contravene a person's right to privacy. So these are the legal principles that need to be kept in mind when you're trying to achieve the balance that you spoke about. That is the balance between, I mean, I actually wouldn't speak of this in terms of balance as much as I would in terms of the sanctity of the fundamental right. So in order to ensure that the fundamental right is not infringed, the legislation needs to ensure uh, needs to sort of keep in mind these principles these principles of necessity and proportionality right uh, just a quick note before we proceed uh, surat i think you um, may have mistakenly said that the putuswami judgment was delivered in 2007 uh, it's 2017 oh, yeah right? sorry i meant 2017 august 2017 right. i'm sorry right right so let's just proceed uh, with that correction uh, so and just coming now again to uh, back to the question some of the problems with the dna bill so as you very um, you know, succinctly noted in a previous article for the Hindu, which we will link to along with this podcast. Now, the world over DNA collected from a crime scene is matched against a set of stored profiles. So anybody who has watched any kind of crime show, uh, US-based crime show or wherever else, would be familiar with this process. You get DNA and then it's, it's run through the system and you get matches, etc. So, um, but as you've noted, India's bill um, sort of seeks to make the DNA collected, the DNA bank, uh, available for a slew of unconnected purposes, uh, including its use in civil cases. So, um, and so that is, I think, something that people may not really understand the sort of dimensions of. What, what are the issues with this? Right. I mean, the bill in its present form has plenty of problems. I mean, the idea behind a DNA bank is mm. to help match and compare samples collected from a crime scene against a set of stored profiles, right? So this, it is believed, would help in the identification of a potential suspect in a criminal investigation. Yeah. But what India's bill, as you say, what it seeks to do is, is to make this DNA bank available for a number of unconnected purposes, including, as you said, quite correctly, permitting its use in civil cases. So consider the consequences. Let's say a person is wrongfully accused of a crime, let's say for speeding a vehicle over permissible limits, right? And he's compelled to give his genetic uh, material, his sort of bodily substances or whatever it might be. Uh, and that is then stored into this DNA bank. Now, what happens when this evidence is used against him later in a completely unconnected proceeding of a purely civil nature? Let's say a family dispute that he might have over custody. So. So, that, so therefore, there are really serious implications in terms of how this DNA bank might be used. And given that in India, even illegally obtained evidence is admissible in a court of law, so long as the person who's trying to, you know, press this evidence into service, so long as he or she establishes the relevance and genuineness of this material, the bill simply, you know, fails to place any sufficient checks on the actual use of the DNA evidence, which might well be collected even in breach of law. So this makes the entire process, I think, quite frightening. What's also, you know, rather more uh, dangerous is that the bill also allows DNA evidence to be used for any other purpose that could be subsequently specified by way of regulation. So this really allows for illimitable power. 
So what you have is a scenario where the state tomorrow might bring about a set of regulations or a set of rules through purely executive notifications, which will allow it to use DNA evidence for all kinds of purposes. So it's been reported, for example, and I, and I mentioned some of this in my article, that the Center for DNA Fingerprinting and Diagnostics, uh, whose director will occupy an ex officio place in the DNA regulatory board, he already seeks information on a person's caste during the collection of genetic material. So I think one, you can see the kind of dangers that are inherent in gathering this kind of data. There's all kinds of uh, profiling possibilities that emanate out of the collection and use of the DNA bank for these kind of almost illimitable purpose. Right. So yeah, uh, coming to the question of, as I mentioned in my introduction, the article that we carried in the Hindu last week does kind of flag this, uh, flag this possibility of caste-based profiling. Um, that was the headline of the article. There are many other concerns raised by the Parliamentary Standing Committee. And uh, that's an article that we'll also link to, of course, um, with this podcast. But just another technical term, um, Surit, that you had covered uh, in your article again. But um, so the, the, in India's draft law doesn't, does not restrict DNA profiling to the use of non-coding DNA. So um, just to get a clearer idea of this, what is non-coding DNA and you know, what are the consequences of not having this restriction? Yeah, so worldwide DNA protection laws really only permit the collection of non-coding DNA. And this non-coding DNA represents those components of the DNA that do not encode protein sequences. And this is really the commonly used international standard, which is that uh, there is a prohibition on the use of those parts of the DNA which code for personal characteristics. So such as, you know, you could quite easily glean a person's medical condition, for example, out, uh, were you to collect coding DNA. So, but the present version of the bill, it doesn't have these restrictions. And this is precisely what the Parliamentary Standing Committee headed by Jairam Ramesh points out, that the DNA profiles that are created today or that can be created under this law can reveal all kinds of sensitive information about a person, the kind of the person's skin color, their behavior, illness. And really, and the worry here is that access to this kind of intrusive information can be used to target individuals and their families. And, you know, it could lead to the construction of the kinds of profiles which revolve around a person's caste or community and link that to criminal activities. And that's the kind of profiling that I think comes with all kinds of dangerous consequences. Right. Uh, so to just read out uh, one more passage from the report of the Standing Committee. Um, it noted that the bill proposes to store DNA profiles of suspects, under trials, victims, and their relatives for future investigations. And uh, to quote from the bill, uh, from the report, while there is a good case for a DNA database of convicts so that repeat offenders may be easily identified, there is no legal or moral justification for a database with DNA of these other categories. So uh, once again, can you just expand on this concern? Yeah, I mean, I, just, just before I do that, I think that really, I mean, linked to this answer to this question is that there are two big problems in India. One right. is the evidence law and, and the lacunae in the evidence law. And two is the lack of a data protection or a privacy law. Now, if you look at the Evidence Act, what it does is, is it permits the use of evidence, as I said earlier, which is even illegally connect, uh, collected. So let's assume that there is no law today which permits the certain kind of, I mean, permits for certain kinds of collection of evidence, but that kind of, but that evidence is collected nonetheless. Then what happens is that the law actually allows that to be used in a court to, uh, 
prosecute a crime or for any other purpose so long as the person who's pressing that evidence into service is able to establish its genuineness and its uh, uh, sort of relevance so that's the so that's one problem this is the what is known as the fruits of a poisonous tree i mean and the, the doctrine of fruits of a poisonous tree right the other problem is the right against self incrimination now the constitution guarantees a right against self incrimination but what the supreme court has done is it's drawn really quite a facile distinction i think between testimonial evidence and non testimonial evidence and the collection of dna evidence for example is seen to fall, fall within non testimonial evidence and therefore it's not seen as violating the right against self incrimination and this again i think is a quite uh, problematic way of construing the fundamental right and the and, and construing the uh, sort of in, interpreting uh, the article which guarantees a right against self incrimination really but to right. answer your question the problem in india is this right as i said there is no data protection law so the idea behind having a data protection of privacy law would be to provide for example for a purpose limitation to ensure that databases are safe but we know in india that databases are not safe we've already seen this with other examples with most recently aadhaar for example and we've seen now the expansion of other into all kinds of other fields so i don't think we have really this conception of you know purpose limitation of uh, the use of data and that i think is where the problem really stems from now the other problem of course is that really every person's dna is going to be going onto this database and we don't know where the science is at presently we don't know the kind of expenditure that's involved in this we don't know the capabilities of our police we don't know if they're kind of quite advanced enough in the use of forensic science to grapple with these kinds of issues so given all of that to say that the dna bank or the kind of data that is stored in this dna bank can be used not just to look at repeat offenders but can be used really for any other purpose i think is to open a kind of pandora's box that we don't know where it will lead us to and uh, the consequences can be quite uh, damaging deeply damaging for the idea of a right to privacy in india and as we already discussed earlier i mean if you start having scenarios where you can build these kind of profiles where you can build caste based profiles etc then or religion based and community based profiles then it really kind of leads to situations where it could be used by the state to quell dissent to uh, chill free speech so all of this i think are uh, serious concerns about this bill and which is why i think the parliamentary standing committee has called some of these into question and i really do hope that it goes back to parliament and parliament kind of takes a serious relook at it uh, or failing which if they go ahead and enact the legislation that the courts and the supreme court which might eventually hear this takes a look at it in line with the principles that it itself laid down in puttuswami's case in 2017 so uh, in the present the present iteration of the bill certainly would fall foul of the puttuswami judgment so if it is enacted as law i don't see how it should survive if the courts were to apply those principles that are contained in that judgment right um and just to end uh, surit um the standing committee report does uh, mention and um, perhaps to end with that the bill is urgently required uh, because it does have applications in several cases though in particular they mention that it would help in identification of missing children um so that that we can take that as one example what are the some of the other sort of examples that come to mind to you as to why this bill would be useful well, i think it's useful uh, it's it's important even otherwise because as i said right at the beginning uh, jayant 
uh, collection of DNA evidence is otherwise permissible under the Code of right. Criminal Procedure. So unless you have a law to regulate this, you're essentially giving law enforcement a free hand, and you don't know where all of this data goes. So, and I, look, the other thing apart from this DNA protection bill, and this is all of this, I think, is quite, uh, you know, critically linked to a data protection law. We had the Aadhaar judgment which came out, which upheld the constitutionality of the Aadhaar Act but which nonetheless said that parliament must enact a data protection law. We're we now two years down the line and we still don't have a data protection law. So, and I think collection of these kinds of information and storage of this kind of data has, is directly linked to the absence of a data protection law. And that's one of the things that we need sort of urgently. And, that go, and the same goes, I think, even for a law to regulate uh, the collection and use of DNA. I'm not so I, I don't think one should suggest that we don't need a law. We need a law, certainly. But we need a law that does justice to our fundamental rights, that keeps those principles that I mentioned in Putuswami in mind, and that ensures that the state collects and stores and uses only that amount of DNA evidence which is necessary for legitimate purposes. Not sort of this kind of approach where it can store DNA endlessly in a DNA bank and wield it for whatever purpose that it deems necessary. Right. So that will end there. Always fascinating talking to you and I think that was very fascinatingly explained. Thank you for joining us for this episode. My pleasure.